0: So thank you for joining us here on uh, Pro Talks. It's brief conversations with industry leaders exploring moments that shaped their careers and industries. Uh, This podcast is sponsored by the PR office. I'm Ben Judah and today I'm joined by Hillel Fold. Um, Hillel, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm not quite sure how to define exactly what it is that you do um, and what, what you would say that it is that you do. Um, for all those people who ask the same question as me, can you enlighten us?
1: Why do you think that I know what I do? <laughs> um, so I wear a lot of different hats, I guess we all do nowadays. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a tech blogger. That's how it all started. Uh, journalist, columnist. So I write for a lot of different publications uh, covering Israeli tech and innovation in general. Um, I also uh, have a daily video blog where I did pre-corona. Uh, hopefully, we'll get back to that soon. Um, in addition to that, I, um, I work with uh, many global brands as what I guess they call, for lack of a better term, influencer, ambassador, whatever. So I work with Google and Huawei, um, Oracle, Microsoft, and a few others. Um, you know, They all call it different things, key opinion leaders and uh, whatever, but it's all the same stuff. And uh, my main kind of bread and butter is that I work with startups and help them grow. Uh, You know, in Israel, obviously, Israel is known as a technology superpower, but uh, we definitely have a challenge when it comes to marketing. And so I have a nice portfolio of companies that I advise, anything from social media to content, to biz dev, fundraising, PR, you know, growth. Um, And that's pretty much uh, what I do. father, husband, father of five. Yeah.
0: So I've just I've just got one, and I can't fathom how people look after more than one child simultaneously. It's um, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I think one of the one of the kind of terms that that you use on your website is that you, you make startups go boom. Um, that that kind of big impact, that big growth. what's some of the the first questions that you uh, ask startups in that first meeting?
1: So first of all, I think. I hope that I, I've, I've changed that copy on my website because I was highly uncomfortable with that when my the agency that built my website did that. Um, I don't think I think it's now it's transforming startups into businesses. But um, you know the first thing really that I talk to entrepreneurs about is uh, I check if they did their research. That's that's a really big indication of their chances of success. Do they know their competitors? How do they even define a competitor? They, you know, are they looking at companies that aren't necessarily doing the same thing as them, but they're targeting the same target audience as them? Um, you know, I really, I think that an entrepreneur that skips that part, the research part, to me, that's a, that's a huge red flag. Uh, so I really, that's that's kind of the first thing that I talk to entrepreneurs about and make sure that they've done their research and they know what they're up against and they know, you know, what what the journey they're about to embark on and how difficult it is. It's a really
0: good starting point. I think one of the things that we do, you um when we're talking to, to companies and doing that sort of competitor analysis piece is uh, seeing uh, who they compare themselves to and who they see shares that same thought space. And I'd say almost nine times out of 10, it's just a pen and paper is a competitor to them. So they're trying to take that sort of share of, of action, that share of mind. Um, I think one of the warning signs that, that uh, I've, I've certainly seen is people who say, oh, I have no competitors. There's no one that does what I do. That, that to me is often, no one's doing it, then, you know, maybe there's a reason or, or yeah. if no one's doing it, then you probably haven't looked because there's always going to be someone who's had this idea, just executing it, maybe in a slightly
1: different way. When, when someone says they have no competitors, to me, there's only two options. They didn't do their research or there's no market.
0: Yeah. That's it. Um, and I guess look, one of the one of the amazing things about uh, Israel is is everyone has, uh, you know, they've got what they do, and then they've got at least one other side project, side part, uh, hustle, or a startup that they're also working on. Everyone from the, you know, the guy who's making coffee to, uh, I once sat in an interview, and then midway through the interview, the guy said to me, look, you're not right for this job, but I do have a startup. And I think he might... <laughs> What is it about the DNA? What, what is it in, in Israel that, that do you think that, that kind of engenders that,
1: that thought? I mean, there's obviously books written on this topic. It's an amazing thing. We're talking about a country, uh, we're talking about a country smaller than New Jersey and the most unstable region on planet earth. And uh, Israel pretty much, I'm not gonna say they lead, but Israel is a dominant player in every sector of technology pretty much. Whether they're number one or number two or number three in the world, it's irrelevant because again it's a tiny little country with all the challenges you can possibly imagine um, but you know there are a lot of contributing factors for sure the military because it's a very innovative body and you know you learn a lot about innovation and technology in the military it's also government support the innovation authority you know funds startups it's definitely a cultural thing you know i like to joke that uh you know in in most places in the world you you want to switch lanes if you're driving you put on your blinker Uh, the driver in the next lane slows down to let you in. In Israel, they speed up, right? Because in Israel, the mentality is, you know, what am I, a fryer? What am I, a sucker? Why would I let you into my lane? Uh, Well, that's not very good when it comes to doing business and marketing. You need to let people into your lane. You need to be subtle. You need to build relationships. But when it comes to technology, it's a very good thing because, you know, they don't let people into their lane and you tell an Israeli entrepreneur something's impossible and they're going to spend their life trying to prove you wrong. Um, and so there, there really are a lot of contributing factors, but uh, it really is truly remarkable what's going on in Israel you know, in terms of technology.
0: And I think traditionally it's been kind of the, the tech space in Israel has been pretty hot. It's been lots of innovation um, software, things like that. But actually, if you look at the where some of the innovations are coming out of now, you're looking at transportation, you're looking at uh, agriculture, food, um, healthcare, healthcare. Absolutely, my god! Look at you know Zebra Medical and, and places like uh, companies like that that are just taking over the world. It's it's really amazing. Is there any that you think are, are really right now about uh, to kind of turn out from um, some of the fringes into the mainstream? Drones. Drones. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, I think I often say that if you want to know how far we've come technologically, drones are the perfect illustration of that. And then you're talking about a device this big, 20 sensors on it, you know, obstacle avoidance in all directions, can fly nine kilometers and record in 4K. I have a drone that records in 8K. I mean, it's crazy, crazy technology. And I've seen some... Unbelievable companies in Israel in the drone space, uh, and I, you know, I don't think Israel's traditionally known as a leader in the drone space, but I think uh, we're about to surprise a lot of people.
0: Ah, that's, I have never thought of that. Never, never thought of that space. That's awesome. So I, I want to get back to you. You, you advise a ton of startups uh, from having you know, known about the sort of work that you do, having seen your your vlog uh, when it was on. You, know, you meet some incredible people. I'm sure that you didn't just wake up one morning and start you know, saying, I want to meet the head of uh, this amazing, impressive company or these really cool startups. How'd you get to that point? Um, was it something that you always wanted to do or is it something that, that kind of you discovered a passion for along the way? Uh,
1: well, you know, I started my career as a technical writer at a company called Converse. Uh, so I'm, I'm writing user guides for, like, SMS systems. You, you don't find a much bo- more boring job than that. Uh, and so I'm sitting at my desk one day and I decide, you know, I have thoughts about technology. I'm just going to write them. Not, you know, as an authority. I've never, I didn't have a startup. I never did anything. I just liked technology and started writing. I didn't even call it a blog because people weren't blogging back then. But if you had asked me what my strategy or what my dream was, you know, or, you know, I had no business model. I did. I did have kind of a dream to meet, you know, the, the movers and shakers of the technology world, the people who built, you know, the, this tech world. People like Steve Wozniak, Mark Andreessen, you know, crazy people. Now I didn't know how I was ever going to get to them, but that was a dream of mine. What I learned was that interviewing people is a very powerful tool, like you're doing right now, because most people are happy to, to be on stage. And again, all I did was reach out to Steve Wozniak, the founder of Apple, or Mark Andreessen, who invented the web browser and is now the top VC in the world, and said, Listen, you know, my name is Hillel. I'd love to pick your brain. And I found that nine out of 10 people said yes. Much more like, yeah, it was pretty like 10 out of 10 people said yes. Um, and so I've interviewed some incredible people over the years. And yeah, it was kind of a plan and strategy of mine. Um, and uh, I've had some, some crazy stories happen. You know, Steve Wozniak came to show for 24 hours. We had breakfast in his hotel in the lobby. And then we had a, an incoming rocket from Gaza I had to rush him to a bomb shelter. Like really crazy stuff.
0: That's, that's amazing. And an incredible hit rate. Nine, nine out of 10 is a, is an amazing hit rate. Well, you know, you... you look at some of the stuff that you know Gary Vaynerchuk would say about you know you you reach out and, and 99 times out of 100 someone's going to say no but then that one time someone says yes yeah, so you have to do multiple, multiple. What, what do you think um is the lends you towards the success of a, a nine time out of ten
1: so I, I don't agree with Gary at all Gary's a friend of mine he's he's amazing I could tell you amazing Gary stories but um I don't agree with him at all I think uh, you know, you reach out to someone, generally speaking, people are happy to be interviewed, you know, you make it easy to make it easy for them, you know, some questions by email or phone, whatever it may be. But, you know, everyone has a mom, they want to send their mom the interview and say, look, mom, I was interviewed, everyone. So I don't, I don't know why Gary says that. I mean, maybe he's talking about selling something, but I'm just talking about, you know, asking them questions and giving them a stage. Uh, it's very different. I'm not saying that if you try to sell something to someone, nine out of 10 people will buy it. I'm saying, if you want to interview people, you want to spotlight people, you want to give them a stage, people are happy to be on stage.
0: Yeah, I think I, for, for me doing this podcast, having this, uh, this is a, a forum, m- the majority of people that I've asked, I wouldn't say nine out of 10, but the majority of people that I've asked have, have seemed quite willing to come and, and, you know, spend 20 minutes, half an hour, just chatting about themselves. Um, I, I tend to think unless you're as long as you're not asking with a, 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 a hidden agenda, trying to right. trying to get something out of them, it tends to be uh, it tends to be well received. Yep, no reason uh, not to. And so, you also you know you you've written uh, some amazing content. You've got your own blog. You're published on um, a ton of outlets. You frequently publish on Inc. Um, Firstly, I mean, how do you come up with the volume of uh, of, of ideas? And uh, secondly, is that that sort of consistency it need, must have some uh, discipline and some some thought process that that goes behind it? So I'd love to hear your process for for doing that.
1: Yeah, for sure. First of all, I'm a big believer in consistency. You know, you see on social, I take the same pictures. I said, you know, the same date nights, the same signing off for 25 hours. I'm very, very consistent. One one might say even OCD. Um, But, uh, you know, as far as how I come up with the content, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have an answer for that. There's, you know, a lot to be said about how to build a startup. And so I write about that. Uh, I think, you know, I probably have five more years of content before I run out. Um, So that's that, but in terms of the process, you know, I let's say, for example, my weekly J-Post column, right? So I write about impact technology for, for the Jerusalem Post. You know, Sunday morning, I, I research, I look for a company. I might reach out to a VC or to a PR company and say, hey, you have any great companies for me? Here are the criteria. They send them the, the information. I, I start doing my research on the company, write the article, uh, you know, send to the company usually for approval, just to make sure that I don't have any inaccuracies, asking for a high-res image, and then I'm submitting it to the J-Post by Monday, Tuesday, even though I have till Thursday. But get. I want to get that out of the way. Uh, Inc., you know, um, again, I try to do it in the beginning of the week. Uh, now I've kind of pivoted a little bit from startup content to interviews on Inc. Uh, but that means I have to wait. I'm dependent on people sending their answers. So I am waiting right now for at least four four or five different people to send me their answers, including Omri Kaspi, the NBA, ex-NBA player, and and a couple of other really cool people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's listen, you know, I'm not going to tell you – that it's very hard hard work. It's you know I like writing. I write fast and I enjoy it, but it, you know it definitely requires discipline. No question about it. You know I I I get to it. I sit down Sunday morning and I'm like just pumping out the content.
0: And I think a lot of people would love to be in the position uh, that, that you're in, you know, writing for these awesome publications. But as you said, it <laughs> doesn't start that way. You started uh, writing on your own blog. How does one make that jump? How did you make that jump to writing from your own blog to writing for other people's publications?
1: I feel like people are going to people, I feel like your viewers are going to think I'm oversimplifying here, but I'm really not. You have to understand, Inc. is a publication that needs content. I am a person that needs distribution. They have millions of readers. I write a piece, I submit it to an editor, they like it, boom, they're a contributor. That's it, really. They didn't ask me how many followers I have. I wrote a piece of content, I, I submitted it to an editor, they liked it, they said, all right, let's do this. That was really it. I mean, I think in Ink's case, they actually reached out to me, but you know, with J-Post, it was just, you know, what do you want to write about? It's, you know, we want content, you want distribution, it's win-win. People are happy to do this.
0: I think from from an, from someone who's kind of seen uh, your, your, the number of publications that you've contributed to, I think it, it comes from, you write anyway you're not writing specifically and you're specifically not writing with a, with an agenda. Again, you're, you're writing for yourself to get, you, you have a piece of content that you want to get out there because it needs to be written and you're going to write it. And whether you're going to publish that on your own blog or you're going to publish that on ink or JPost, you're going to publish it somewhere. Right. Um, and having that glut of content having that reliability of, you know, you're going to write it anyway. I think it makes you an attractive person to, for them to, to feature as a, as a contributor.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, again, it's just a, it's a classic win-win. They, they're happy to get, you know, and like me, there are, I don't know, hundreds of contributors. We have a Slack channel. I see how many people are writing for Inc. They're getting tons of content for free. They're not paying me, you know, and I'm not obviously um, promoting any of my startups. That's a that's a big no-no. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's I, I don't know who gains more, me or them. Uh, I guess the downside of all of this is that people see on my LinkedIn or on my Facebook that I write for TechCrunch and the next web and venture and they just assume that like, I'm a journalist there, that I work for TechCrunch. And so today, for example, someone pitched me an article for a publication that I'm a contributor at. And I'm like, please go find me, like, I want you to show me an article that I wrote for TechCrunch about a specific startup because you're pitching on a startup for TechCrunch. Did you do your research? Because I don't write for TechCrunch about startups. I wrote a piece for TechCrunch about venture capital, but like people don't do their research. They just see that, oh, you write for TechCrunch, they, they, they start pitching you, uh, which is a, a pretty bad indication of you know how serious you are if you can't do a little research. But um, yeah, I enjoy it. I'm having a good time. Um, you know, it's, it's fun to write for these great publications. And uh, like I said, I get massive distribution, helps me, helps them, everyone wins.
0: That's that's really great. And I think again, you bring it back to doing research. I obviously, at the beginning of this podcast, didn't necessarily do my research and relied on what I'd seen and remembered on your on your website and at the beginning of your 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 videos. But absolutely, you know, re- research. I think you're you're right. It's key, it's especially when we uh, at the PR office uh, are pitching people. We we don't do these big. 300 person journalist list because you're somewhere in a database that once wrote about a startup, I'm going to pitch you on everything under the sun. It's all about coming back to, you know, what's this person writing about now? Have they written in the last three months? Right. Because very right. often, you know, it's an old list and, and, uh, someone's not doing the full work, not doing the full prep work. Right. Um, I'd love to hear from you. If you can think of any, uh, interesting moments for you that, um, were pivotal in getting you to the, to the point that you're at at the moment, whether that was a meeting or an introduction, uh, a speech that you gave, um, or how it is that you think that, that your trajectory, your career trajectory has come to this point?
1: I mean, there were many, uh, there, were, there were many. So after uh, I was a technical writer, um, I then worked in the finance sector a little bit, but then I, then I joined my first startup. Uh, it was in the mobile advertising space and I kind of pitched the CEO uh, to open a company blog and st- let me start writing about the industry to establish us as an authority in the industry which was a very new concept back then um and uh he, he went for it and so i did that um and then startups started to reach out to me and I started to meet them and help them I, I wasn't taking money uh and it turns out that 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 was the best decision i ever made because when everyone around me was selling something i was just offering my help and what i was doing now i know in retrospect i was establishing trust Uh, And trust is the biggest asset in business that I think is the most underrated asset. Uh, And so a lot of these companies came back to me sometimes a decade later. And said, listen, you know, you helped us early on. We know what you did for us. We know your capabilities. We want them. What are your terms? And I had no idea what to answer to that question, but slowly but surely, I built myself a portfolio. So I'd say one pivotal moment was kind of deciding to meet entrepreneurs and help them for free. Uh, definitely, obviously, meeting Steve Wozniak was like a mind-blowing morning. It was the craziest, most surreal morning of my life. But, you know, on Twitter, on a regular basis, uh, you know, I interact with the craziest people. I mean, I grew up on watching Who's the Boss, Alyssa Milano. Uh, you know, and we're, we're buddies. Like, we literally, we're, we're DMing. We're like friends. I mean, Ellen DeGeneres follows me on Twitter. It's crazy. Like, it, it, yeah, I mean, really, really wild stuff uh, has ha- have happened to me over the years. I've had tweets that went completely insanely viral. Like I remember in one of the uh, conflicts in Israel, I was uh, on the highway and there was an incoming rocket and all the cars were standing sideways and everyone was crouched over and it was a very surreal scene. So I took a picture of it and I tweeted it and it went crazy. Like every publication used the picture and it went and went like, it must've gotten easily 50 million views, like easily. Uh, It went nuts. I mean, it's hard to quantify, right? Because I can only see how many impressions it gets on Twitter, but people use the image in Mashable and all these other places. Um, So that was another pivotal moment. But um, yeah, I mean, there's so many, but I think generally speaking, kind of establishing my my business model, let's call it, of just trying to be nice and help people and not expecting anything. Uh, Turns out when you help others win, you end up winning. And that's what I learned over the years, which is, you know, you, when, when you focus on value, in any form, whatever that means, um, and you're not being compensated for that value, there are no expectations, right? You're not. I'm not. You're not paying me, so you expect nothing. If you're if you're expecting nothing, all I can do is exceed expectations. When I exceed expectations over and over and over again, I create what I, I like to call delight, and delight delight can be monetized. Turns out. So that, you know, that choosing that kind of path was, I think, uh, the most pivotal moment for me.
0: I've never heard it put quite that uh, eloquently, that, that succinctly. Um, is, it, is it something that you kind of stumbled upon or is it something that was quite deliberate?
1: Um, I was st- stumbled upon. I didn't, I, I had total imposter syndrome in the early years. I was like, you know, I'm meeting these entrepreneurs. I'd never built a company in my life. Why, who am I to ask for money? So I'm just like, I'm having lunch with them and they're pitching me their product. And I'm like, that's the worst pitch I ever heard. And they're like, you know, I say, who are your competitors? And they say, we have none. I'm like, you're a fool. And I was just helping these guys. You know, I didn't think to ask for money. It wasn't, you know, I I had a job, Uh, but uh, it turned out, like I said, I was establishing trust, building my brand and helping people. And, you know, afterwards I did read a lot of literature about this kind of concept, whether it's Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, or, um Ryan Holiday's strategy, the canvas strategy, which is brilliant. These things—they all—they all describe that when you build a canvas for other people to create masterpieces on, you end up winning. You pave the road for others to go on their way to success. You end up going down that road. Um, so I didn't make it up, but I—I I wasn't familiar with it when I started it.
0: And so what what would be uh, the biggest piece of advice that you you would give to other people who are, you know, thinking you know this sounds amazing, a guy who's uh, you know advising startups on marketing and, and uh, you know, working with some of these awesome, uh, awesome brands, big companies, what, what would be some advice for uh, people, maybe slightly earlier
1: on in in, in their, their careers? You mean, you mean an entrepreneur? Uh, an entrepreneur, yeah. Um, I mean, I would say before you, you know, spend a dime building your product, I would spend a month at least building, a comprehensive landscape of your entire space. Anybody who's literally anybody. I mean, I I spoke to a company today um, in the mental health space. And uh, I, you know, I asked them who their competitors are. They start to name startups. And I said, you realize every therapist out there is your competitor. This is the way people do things till now you're changing people's behavior. And so, you know, you really have to know your market, you know, backwards and forwards. Uh, That's the first thing I do. And I would say, you know, don't, go and run and raise money because you hear about these monster rounds, you know, financing, build a minimal viable product, get it in the hands of 10, 20 users, measure the data, analyze the data, pick up the phone, call your 20 customers, ask them how they like the product, uh, iterate, you know, get it in front of 50 people, 100 people and really, uh, you know, try to push off raising capital. That's what I say, you know, bootstrap as long as you can. Um, because when you come to an investor with traction, critical mass, then you define the terms of the investment. Whereas in the early stages, if you're raising capital on an idea, you're going to get killed on the terms and you're going to give away your company. So I understand that you need oxygen to build a company. I get that. So go friends and family maybe, but try not to raise capital for as long as you can hold off. That's what I would say.
0: Awesome. Um, and finally is there is there anything that, that you would uh, you would have wanted to tell yourself um, maybe 10 15 years ago
1: um, learn how to code seriously i wish i knew how to code I man i don't know that i have the brain for it but um, yeah it's definitely something that i wish i knew, I knew how to do um, but you know I, I would say just you know instead of wasting the years that i wasted being a technical writer and doing the other stuff in the finance sector, just I would I would have jumped right into this model because it's a successful model and um, yeah, that's you know I I would tell myself to have accepted the job offer that I got from Ways. Uh, I would <laughs> I got a job offer from from quite a few startups that ended up exiting for a lot of money that I said no to, uh, but I'm just joking. I don't I don't have any regrets about that. But uh, yeah, I mean just I would have said start this model earlier. Yes. One,
0: one thing I'd say learning to code. I'm trying to do it at the moment really my brain does not work that way there is an app yeah. called grasshopper on android though which is written by google which is actually really good um so if you want to sort of start scratching that itch it's a good footstep in i think All right, check um, it out so if uh, if people were to want to you know follow you learn a little bit more um where could they where could they find you
1: i mean Google is your friend. <laughs> I'm I'm everywhere basically on Twitter. I'm Hillsfold. That's H-I-L-Z. There you go. It's for you. F-U-L-D. Um, and uh, you know, hello, fold everywhere. I don't. Know, you just Google me. It's pretty easy to find me.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time today. Um, Absolutely. I I look forward to catching up. Hopefully next time when I'm in Israel, when I can fly out.
1: Or I'll come to you. Amazing. <laughs> All right. Looking forward.
0: Take care.